Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Can you all stand with me in reading of God's Word together? Um, We're going to go ahead and read the synopsis real quickly in week five uh, together entitled The Sacrifices of a Priest. Uh, It says this, it says, to be a priest meant to live a life of sacrifice, whether it was to handle the sacrifice of an animal or lay down your own desires on the altar for the sake of the call, it required a certain level of surrender and service in order that God would be glorified. The Bible now calls us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, everybody say sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Salvation is free, but following Jesus will cost you something. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 is where we're going to be picking up this morning, and it reads this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Somebody say sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everybody say transformed by the renewing of our minds. That you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. We're in week five. We're talking about the sacrifices of a priest, and I can't wait to jump in it. But before we do, let's pray over this service together. God, we thank you right now that we have gathered under nobody's name other than yours, that we're here to glorify your name, the name of Jesus. So, Father, have your way in this service. Direct every word. Direct every moment. We thank you for open minds and soft hearts in the building this morning, that we're ready to jump in with expectation and faith. We put aside any distractions. We put aside any barriers. We put aside any thoughts that don't line up with your word. But, God, we are ready to receive. We're ready, God, to enjoy this message that you have given us. So, Father, have your way in this place. We thank you for miracles, signs, and wonders taking place. We thank you, God, for chains breaking, for minds renewing. God, for people getting out under the weight, God, of addiction in this service. We're going to see your will take place, and we're going to watch, God, your best, God, happen in this house. In the name of Jesus, and everybody says... Amen, amen. Come on, give Jesus a shout of praise this morning, and y'all can be seated. Y'all can be seated. So over this uh, last few weeks, over this part two of the semester, we have been looking at the life of the Levitical priest and and looking at the mandates, the values, and procedures that they had and and how it applies to us, the, the royal priesthood. And And this week, in week five, we're talking about maybe uh, what is the most um, important or well-known responsibility that the priest had, which is performing the sacrifices. See, the priest would actually perform thousands and thousands of sacrifices per year. Um, Year after year, they would perform these sacrifices, and when we discuss it in today's age when we talk about what that meant and how that was. We, we really kind of skip over it and we really don't understand the why of it or, or the how of it. And so today we're going to go a little bit deeper this morning. See, sacrifice is the reason why it took place. Sacrifices were made for the atonement. Come on, somebody say atonement. For the atonement of sin. 
And what atonement this really means is a covering. That's what that word means. It's a covering. But see, sacrifices were made for as a partial atonement and covering of their sins. That when sin entered into the earth at the fall of men, uh, sacrifices had to be made to atone temporarily for those sins. And so after each mistake, they almost had to make up for it with a sacrifice or an offering to atone for that sin. So from the Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the practice of sacrificing to God as a temporary atonement for sin took place. But if, you, if your mind works the way my mind works, um, I ask questions a lot. And so the question I ask is, well, why, why, why sacrifice animals? This, that sounds barbaric. That sounds unnecessary. Like, why does, like, what did that cow ever do to you, right? What, 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 why, did that, why does that cow have to die on your behalf? You know, what, what, what's the point of, of uh, animal sacrifices? Why does it have to be an animal? Well, firstly, in Romans 6, 23, it says that the wages of sin is death. So the only way to atone for a sin or for a mistake is for something, for for blood to be shed. That was the only way for sins to be atoned. There was no way around it. The only way for uh, sin to be atoned is for something to have to die, for blood to be shed. And so the only way that they would atone for their sins partially was through the sacrifice of animals. In Leviticus chapter 17, uh, it breaks it down really, uh, really easy to understand. And this is God speaking. And he says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Everybody say the blood. He said, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Who's thankful for the blood of Jesus this morning? That we don't have to go to bulls or goats no longer, but Jesus makes atonement for our souls. And so that is why in Genesis chapter 3, when sin first entered into the world, that is why after Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? God had to kill an animal. Because it says that Adam and Eve, they saw, they sinned, and they were aware of their nakedness. They were aware of their sin. They were aware that they were not worthy or holy enough anymore to be in the presence of God. That is why they ran. That is why they hid. It says they hid from God because they were aware of their nakedness. So to uh, make up for that, God had to kill an animal, use the coat as a covering to cover their nakedness or an atonement for what they did. So from the time of Adam and Eve, to all the way to Noah, all the way to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all throughout the Old Testament, all the way up to the time of Jesus, uh, this was practiced as a way of an atonement. All the way up until the time to where uh, God led his people out of Egypt, and then through Moses, he led them out, and then he gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he gave Moses then the plans of the tabernacle, and then he began to make a covenant with the people of Israel during that time of saying, if you perform these sacrifices of offerings, it will atone uh, the sin and keep the connection. And he made a covenant with those people, and today we call that covenant the old covenant. 
And in this, he specifies really specifically uh, the different types of sacrifices in the book of Leviticus. There's five types of sacrifices. And now we're going to go through this real quickly. You might say, Pastor CJ, I feel like I'm in a classroom right now. This seems, you know, why we're going. Let me explain why. Let me explain why. We're going through everything that they had to go through, each step by step. Why? So we can understand the weight, so that we can understand the burden, so that way we can understand all the things that they had to go through under the old covenant. So now in the new covenant, we have a full understanding and appreciation of the freedom that we have in the name of Jesus. You see, if you don't, if you don't understand what they had to go through, you, can't, you, you won't appreciate what Jesus did for you. You're going to be like, well, this is all I know. I didn't know the time before this. This is all I know is the grace of Jesus. I don't know what it meant to have to perform sacrifices and offerings. So if you don't understand that, how can you appreciate the new covenant that we're in? So we're going to go through this real quickly, okay? I find this type of things interesting. I know a lot of you do as well. But we're going to go through the five types of sacrifices that God told them in the book of Leviticus. And we're going to go through it so we can have the understanding of all the things they had to go through. So we have the understanding of the weights and the rituals of all the things that they had to go through. And here's the, here's the thing, too. They had to go through all those things just to receive a fraction of what we enjoy today. So look at what they, they did. There's five types of sacrifices. The first type is a burnt offering. Everybody say burnt offering. In Leviticus chapter 1, God describes the burnt offerings and and really, in this, uh, in this type of offering, it, it was very important uh, during uh, festivals and, and during, really during the Day of Atonement where uh, once a year the high priest would have a burnt offering up, offered up to God. And, and that burnt offering would atone for the sins of the people of Israel. It's kind of like a, a wide net casted to cover everybody uh, once a year. And also during the burnt offerings, you could do this individually uh, if you choose to. And, and really, in Scripture, it was a very personal thing to offer a burnt offering up to God. It actually says that what you had to do to offer a burnt offering is that you had to get the animal, you had to get Betty your cow, and place your hand on its head, signifying the transference of your sin onto them. And that when that animal was sacrificed, that that animal died because of the sins that he or she committed. So you could have that understanding of what the wages of sin is, which is death. So that way you could understand that we don't live, that they didn't live that life in rebellion without any cost, that there was a price. The next type is a grain offering. Somebody say grain offering. A grain offering was in Leviticus chapter 2. Now, this one is very different because it's the only type of sacrifice uh, that does not have the shedding of blood. So during this offering, uh, there, it, it, that means the atonement of sin was received not from a grain offering. But what they would do is they would bring a grain offering in a way of showing gratitude and appreciation to God. So they would bring a grain offering and say, God, I know I'm not going to have my sins atoned for this offering, but I bring it to you to show my gratitude and appreciation not to receive something back from you. So that was grain offerings. The next one uh, is a peace offering. Someone say peace offering. Peace offering is in Levit Leviticus chapter 3, and, and the peace offerings is interesting because it was almost like a family event. 
Like when they would bring the peace offering to God, they would bring it together as a family, as a way to worship God together, as a way to, to give God praise together, as a way of atonement for, for the family's sins and mistakes that they made. And, and then afterwards, they would give God praise and worship, and then they would enjoy the, the meat of the animal together during the peace offering. People would also do a peace offering as a sign of agreement with God's will, as a sign of submittance to God's will. An example of this is Hannah. Uh, when she brought her son Samuel to uh, the temple and brought uh, her son to Eli to be dedicated to God for his whole life, it says in Scripture that Hannah brought Samuel and she brought a peace offering to God, signifying, saying, God, I submit to your will and I'm in agreement with what you're doing. The next type is a sin offering. Everybody say sin offering. Now, sin offering is, is, is you know, I find this one funny because it's in Leviticus chapter 4 because all what we just talked about, a sin offering was made to when you made a mistake that you didn't even know about. Scripture says that even, in, even if you think you've been a really good person that day, do a sin offering just in case there's anything you did unintentionally not knowing that it was wrong. And so people, what they would do, they would say, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't remember me doing anything wrong, but I, I want to make sure that I'm in the right anyways in God's, in God's eyes. And, and so they would bring a sin offering just to cover unintentional sins, okay? Are y'all seeing how delicate the situation is? The last one is a guilt offering. Someone say guilt offering. Is this found in Leviticus chapter 6. Now, guilt offering was like a sin offering, but the guilt offering, uh, not only would you have to offer up a sacrifice, but whoever you did wrong against, uh, you didn't have to repay them the full amount. So example is like if you stole from somebody, uh, not only did you have to uh, have an offering to God for atonement for that sin, but you also had to go to that person, give them back the full amount, but then also, Scripture says, very specific, that you also have to give them a one-fifth uh, amount of that on top of it, uh, on top of the full amount. So very specific. Now, those were the five types of sacrifices. So you can only imagine how busy that tabernacle was, right? You can only imagine how many sacrifices had to be made day after day, week after week, time after time. Like there was probably like a longer line than you see at Chick-fil-A waiting in line for their daily sacrifice because they said, oh, I, I talked back to my mom that day or I lied this morning. I did this, so I didn't go and make up for it because that's quite literally what they had to do under the old covenant. Every little mistake that they committed had an offering that they had to suffice for it. Every little thing that they did day after day, they had to make sure they brought gift offerings and uh, burnt offerings and sin offerings day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and it was the priest's responsibility to manage all that, to regulate all that. So you can only imagine the, 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 the weights and the burden and the stress and just the feeling of, man, it takes a lot just to be in the eyes of God covered. It takes a lot to remove this sin. You can just, you can just feel the burden. You can feel the weight. You can feel how that would probably take up your whole day. This for making a sacrifice for this morning saying a lie or making a mistake. It, it, was, it was so heavy. It was such a burden. It was, it was something that became so routinized and tiresome. 
You can only imagine doing the same thing over and over and over just so you can find atonement for the same mistakes you're making over and over, week after week, month after month, year after year. This is what Hebrews chapter 10 is talking about. He says the old system under the law of Moses, which is everything we just talked about, was only a shadow. A dim preview of good things to come, not the good thing themselves. The sacrifices, everybody say sacrifices, under that system were repeated again and again. Year after year, time after time, day after day. Imagine your to-do list. Imagine one of the things you have to do. It's, hey, I need to make sure that if I die, I'm good with God today. Or I need to make sure that I make up for this. Imagine that day after day, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins. It didn't remove their sins. It reminded them of how far away they are from God. It reminded them how much they have fallen short. It reminded them that even if they did this all day, every day, day after day, they would still fall short of God. It reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So those sacrifices did not remove their sin. It reminded them of their sin. It reminded them day after day the curse that sin causes. It reminded them day after day the stain that sin causes. It reminded them day after day how foul of a stench their sin caused to their holy God. It reminded them day after day how small, how puny, and how not even capable they are to make up for the wrongs that they had. It reminded them of the stain of sin. But the law was not given to remove sin. The law was given to reveal sin. The law was given to reveal sin and to spotlight our need for a Savior. Because you know what that law was doing? It was reminding them, hey, you can't make up for your wrongs by the works you're doing. You can't make up for the wrongs by, the, by religion or by tradition. You can't make up for the wrongs. It doesn't matter how many right things you do. You can't make up the wrong and the sin and the stain that sin causes. You can't make up for that. It doesn't matter. You need a Savior. You need, some, you need somebody to save you from this. You cannot save yourself. You cannot make yourself in a position to remove the penalty of sin. There's nothing that you can do. It says that you can do the same thing day after day, year after year, and still be in the same position. Still be in the same spot of eternity. Still knowing and seeing the sin that stain has caused on your life. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no perfect sacrifice that we can come up with ourselves to pay the penalty of sin. That is why God said the only sacrifice perfect enough is going to have to be myself. 
is that the only sacrifice perfect enough to pay the penalty of sin is for me to go down to the dirt of the earth, to walk among them, be wrapped in flesh, to live a spotless and perfect and blameless life, and then die on a cross to pay the penalty of sin once and for all. Come on, if you're thankful for Jesus, give him a shout of praise this morning. And you should give him a shout of praise with a new light, knowing you can't do it yourself, knowing that you're under a burden that he blessed you with by giving his life for you. Now that you're freed from that burden by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing while he was here on earth. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8. It says, for Christ said, he's talking to, he's talking to God. He said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings, or all those other offerings we went through. He said, you don't want those. You weren't pleased with them, even though the law required it. Then he said, look, I have come, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant. Everybody say he cancels. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second one into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Come on, give Jesus a shout of praise for what he's done for us. Look at this. Says, see, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Says under the old covenant, they were doing the same things over and over and over. And even though they worked as hard as they could, they were still so far away from what I could offer them. Verse 12, but it says, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good for all time. Then he sat down in a place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled, made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, say it was this one time, by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Come on, give Jesus one more shout of praise if he knows what you've done for him. See, Jesus fulfilled every sacrifice. That scripture was saying, see, these, under the old covenant, these priests and these Israelites, they were doing so many things, time, so many offerings, day after day, year after year, time after time. But Jesus showed up and said, I just have to do this one time because this is the perfect sacrifice. Now there's no need for guilt offerings. Now there's no need for peace offerings. Now there's no need uh, for sin offerings. Why? Because Jesus came and he filled the gap once and for all. Now we don't have to carry around a goat every day and say, oh, you're for me running a red light. You know, come with me, right? We don't have to do that anymore because we got Jesus with us. Jesus covers all of our sins once and for all. He is the final sacrifice. Because of what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. It is finished. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And now we are not contained by an old covenant, but now we walk freely in a new covenant because Jesus was the final sacrifice. That is point one for today, is that Jesus is the final sacrifice. Jesus is the final sacrifice. That is why in John chapter 19, 
Jesus was hanging on the cross, and Jesus was knowing what was taking place. He was fully aware of what was taking place. He said, now that I'm on the cross, I see that the price is being paid. The perfect sacrifice is being offered up. And he looked up unto heaven, and he said, it is finished. He said, there's no need for this religious sacrifices made time and time again that still wasn't good enough. No, it is finished. Now that the spotless lamb had came to earth, he offered up the, the final and perfect sacrifice. Now you and I, we don't have to worry about sacrificing animals. We don't have to worry about the weight. We don't have to worry about all the things they went through. We don't have to worry about all those things that they had on their mind. Jesus offered us something so beautiful. That, why, that's, that is why the message of Jesus it's like nothing else. Because under the old covenant, it was all about works. It was all trying to earn your way there. It was all about how you had to do all these things yourself to try to make up for what you have done. But the message of Jesus was this. Even if you tried your whole life trying to make up for it, you will still fall short. But Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, went to the cross and said, it is finished. Now these children of mine can entertain in my presence once and for all and not be held back from sin. Come on, give Jesus one more shout of praise if you appreciate what he's done for you. Now that you understand, man, Jesus freed you from a lot. Imagine still being under the old covenant. Imagine still having to be under the old law. Imagine having to be under that weight, under that stress. But now thank Jesus for the freedom of the new covenant. And now we just have to worry about following after him. We just have to worry about saying yes to the name of Jesus. And he takes care of the rest. Amen. But just because Jesus is the final sacrifice, that doesn't mean that our priestly service is over. Because if that was the case, if... We would just have to ask forgiveness one time and then go back to what we were doing. We just have to ask for forgiveness one time and say, okay, well, if, if, if Jesus is the final sacrifice, then you know what, why? You know, then I don't need to change what I'm doing. I don't need to change what I've done. He's covered it all, but it doesn't work that way. This is why Paul was talking in the church in Rome in chapter 6. He, see, that you got to remember, they, all these people knew was the old covenant. And now they're hearing about this message of Jesus, which says, hey, you don't have to worry about all those little sacrifices anymore. Jesus is the final sacrifice. And so then they thought to themselves, well, if Jesus is the final sacrifice, which is awesome, that means I don't have to worry about all that stuff anymore. And that means I can go back to what I'm doing then, right? That means I can go back to the old lifestyle, right? That means I can go back to sin, right? Because Jesus covered it all, right? Look what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, well, then... Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't fall for that. Don't fall for it. He said, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Paul saying, since we have died to it, if that is true, then how can you then live in it afterwards? But see, to live a life in Christ is to live a life that is changed and transformed. Meaning this, that after you say yes to Jesus, things should look totally different after that. That after you live a life saying yes to Jesus, it should change how you think, it should change how you talk, it should change how you act. 
It should change everything about you. Maybe not a lot on the outside, but it should change everything on the inside because now you're dead to those things. You're dead to those habits. You're dead to those addictions. You're dead to anything that the world has to offer, but you're alive in the spirit. But you're alive in Christ. That is what our lives look like. It should look radically different. And this leads us back to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Because now Paul is talking to these new covenant believers and he's talking to them. And, and in verse 1, we'll go over it again. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living, everybody say living, a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul was saying was this, is that as the royal priesthood, our services of sacrifice does not cease with the old covenant, but now in the new covenant, it operates in a new and fresh light that now encourages not only us, but in a way to worship God. He's saying, don't be confused. Don't think that now that God has came and sent his son, that we can all now just go back to what we're doing before Jesus. No, as kings and priests, we are meant to live a life that is different. We are meant to live a life as a living sacrifice. And when Paul said living sacrifice, it's, to me it's a confusing statement because that's an oxymoron, Right? If you don't really know, if you're not familiar with oxymoron is, it's like someone come up to you and say, that person over there is a very short, tall person. And you'd be like, you mean like a normal-sized person, right? Because that's an oxymoron, right? So when Paul said a living sacrifice, it was very confusing to the early church who knew the Old Covenant. Very confusing. Because you got to remember all that we just went through, when those priests, when people, when Israelites offered a sacrifice... That animal wasn't coming back, right? That animal was dead. It wasn't coming back. So then Paul to say for you to live as a living sacrifice, you're like, Paul, what do you mean? Well, that, that's, that's mind-bending. That's perspective-changing. That's, that's really something I can't wrap my mind around. What does that mean to, to, to live as a sacrifice, which means to die, but you also want us to be alive? What does that mean? That's why he follows up in verse 2. He says, and do not be conformed. Everybody say, don't be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everybody say, transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and a perfect will of God. So how do you be a living sacrifice? By not conforming to this world. How do you be a living sacrifice? By not acting like how everybody else acts in the life of sin and not with Jesus. How do we be a living sacrifice? By choosing to live for God each and every moment. By choosing to say, God, every time I come to a decision, I'm going to put down my will. I'm going to pick up yours. I'm going to sacrifice maybe what my flesh desires. I'm going to sacrifice the carnal state. And I'm going to live in the will and the purpose that you have for my life. Each and every moment, I choose to be transformed by the truth. A statement I want us to think about together is this. Say this together. Say, I do not choose to conform to the culture, but I choose to be transformed by the truth. We're going to say that one more time together. Say, I do not choose 
to conform to the culture, but I choose to be transformed by the truth. Come on, give Jesus a shout of praise right now if you know what that means. Because if you know what that means, that means that we have the opportunity to be a living sacrifice by not conforming to what the world conforms to, by not conforming and being a slave to sin, but saying, I am dead to that. I am dead to those old things, but I'm alive and the new creation God has made me to be. See, we just have to choose to be followers of the word, not followers of the world, and that is what a living sacrifice looks like. Because if you've been a Christian long enough, then you know it's not easy doing what God wants you to do all the time, right? You got to sacrifice some things, right? You got to give up some things, right? You got to give up some carnal nature, some fleshly desires. You got to give up some things if you are to live for Jesus. And that's what Paul was saying, that as the royal priesthood, we continued having the responsibilities of the sacrifice, just like the Levitical priest, but in a new light, and that's with our lives. Point number two is this, is that our lives are the living sacrifice. Our lives are the living sacrifice. We have to choose that every day we live, we dedicate it to God. We have to choose that every decision we make, we have to dedicate it to God. We have to choose that with every breath that comes from our lungs, we have to use it as a way to glorify God, a way to bring joy, a way to worship our Father. How do we do that? Each and every moment, we got to dedicate it to God. We have to choose to live a life of worship and praise. We have to choose to be somebody who, who knows that even when the world is panicking, who we are in Christ to be a living sacrifice is to put down the things of the world and pick up the things of God. Say, God, I follow after you. I'm not going to panic when everybody else panics. I'm not going to go crazy when everybody else goes crazy. Why? Because I got Jesus Christ. I know who sits on the throne. Come on, if you believe that, give Jesus a shout of praise. Like you understand the freedom in the name of Jesus to be a living sacrifice. This is what God said. Paul was saying, he said, when our lives are presented as living sacrifices, Paul said that proves the will of God. That proves the will of God. That when we are being transformed on the inside, you better believe that there is proof on the outside. What is that proof? It's when everybody else is going crazy, when the world is panicking, but for some reason you have peace. And they're going to look at you to go, there's something different about that dude. Because everybody's worried about tomorrow. Everybody's worried about the opinions of everybody else. But that person has confidence in who they are in Jesus Christ. There's something different about that person. There's something different about them. And they're supposed to look at that life of us as a living sacrifice dedicated to God. And they say, there is a God in heaven because I see God on the inside of them. Because that's not human nature. Human nature does what humans want to do. That's human nature. Humans is, human nature is just doing whatever you feel like doing. That's human nature. But when they look at you and see that you are a living sacrifice, putting down your will and picking up God's will, they say there's something different about that person because that's not human. That's not normal. That's not what the world says how we should live. The world says this to do what you want to do. But God says, no, live a life dedicated to me. Live a life as a living sacrifice, putting down our will, picking up his, and that confirms the will of God. That confirms the goodness of God because they're going to look at you and I and see how we're living differently, and they say, I want that difference on the inside of me, on them, I want that on the inside of me. 
because there's something different about them. There's something, there's something that I know that they have. There's a peace that they have. There's a joy that they have. How, man, how does, how does Pastor CJ, how does he, how does, why everybody else is panicking, but he's not. Why, why does when Haley's, everybody is stressing out, but she's not, or why does so-and-so have that peace when everybody else is confused? Why? And they're going to be looking and say, what is that difference called? And you can say that difference has a name. And his name is Jesus. And then you can confirm the will of God to them and you can say, you don't have to live like everybody else lives. You don't have to be contained and have these walls of, of emotion, this being a slave to the sins, being a slave. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to live how everybody else lives. That's the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus, the gospel is this, is that there's a new way. It was called, uh, when it, whenever Jesus came into this world, the only thing that they could imagine to call what he was preaching, they said, this is the truth. This is the way. And that is what Christianity was called. The way. I believe in the way because there's no other way but through Jesus Christ. There's no other way but living a life of a living sacrifice. There's no other way but following after what God has for me. And that is how we turn the hearts of people of this world towards God is that we portray the character of God. We go out into the working place, and, and we have this way about us as living as a living sacrifice, as how we're able to bring attention not to ourselves but to God. How we're able to be a confirmation of God's peace by, by us having peace when everybody else is panicking. You ever realize when things are going on in the world, everybody looks towards the Christians? Everybody looks towards the people of God, and I say, oh, I wonder how they're going to respond. Are they going to be like everybody else? Are they going to be in this political environment just like everybody else? Are they going to be in this economic environment just like everybody else, panicking, afraid? Or are they going to be different? Or are they going to be somebody who knows who they are in Christ? Are they going to be somebody different from the world? Because how, how can we convince the world to change if we live just like them? How can we convince the world to change if we act just like them? They're going to be like, you're crazy because you're me. You just don't know it. <laughs> Say, yeah, I'm not going to live like you because you're living like me. But when they look at our lives and see that we're different, see that we're living in a way and a new light, when they look at our lives and see that we have joy, peace, when they look at our lives and we're responding in kindness, they say, I want some of that because that is different. That is freeing. That is something that will know, know that if there's all else fails, God doesn't fail. And that's how we turn the hearts of people towards God. It's by us just showing the love of Jesus. It's by us showing as being a living sacrifice what that means and what that looks like. Us putting down our will, picking up God's will. Us living a life of humility and kindness and, and betraying the character of Christ. That is what a living sacrifice looks like. Come on, if you're thankful for all the things Jesus done for you. Because here's the thing. The only correct response to salvation is a living sacrifice. That's the, only, that's the only response. That's the only correct response we have. Because we got to understand how we went through all those things that the old covenant offered. We have to understand the burden. We have to understand the weight. We have to understand that if it wasn't for Jesus, there is no escaping death. 
If it wasn't for Jesus, there is no removing the stain of sin. But because of what Jesus did for us, we now have salvation in his name. And now we're righteous in the eyes of the Father. And the only response to that is saying, God, I dedicate my life to you. God, I give you everything. God, I give you every decision. I give you every breath. I give you every moment of my life. Why? Because you've given me so much more. You've given me something I couldn't afford. You've given me something I could never attain on my own. You gave me the gift of life. And only Jesus can give that. Come on, stand to your feet. I'm closing. So Paul is explaining all this. That's why I love the Bible. If you have questions, just read the Bible. Paul explained the, the scripture is, is there for a reason. So Paul is talking to this new idea as a living sacrifice and what it means to live a life after Jesus and Romans chapter 6, verse 10. Paul said, when Jesus died, he died once. And right there, he, he made a statement. He didn't say, when Jesus died, he died many times to cover everybody, to many things. No, he said, he died once. There's no need for all these burnt offerings and all these things that y'all are used to under the old covenant. He did once. He said, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. And if you see, if you catch what Paul was saying, he said, all we are doing is being a reflection of Jesus because Jesus died, but now he's alive. And the same way when we accepted Jesus, we died to the sin, but guess what? Now we're alive in Christ Jesus. And in the same way how Jesus lives for the glory of God, you want to know why we live? For the glory of God. Paul was saying we are dead to sin, but we're alive to God. See, sin has lost its hold over us. Death has lost its sting. There is no reason for us to be afraid or to be worried. There's no reason for us to doubt no longer because Jesus paid the price that we could never have afford. He covered the debts. He broke the chains. He broke anything that the enemy tried to have against us. The battle has been won, and the victory is ours in the name of Jesus. I'm going to close with this thought. To be a living sacrifice is to be dead to sin, but alive to the Spirit. To be a living sacrifice is to be dead to sin, but alive to the Spirit. So how do we be a living sacrifice? We put all those things of flesh aside. We put all those things of the world to the side because we're dead to those things anyways. We're dead to the, to the hold of addiction. We're dead to the hold of emotions. We're dead to the hold of all the things that the world deals with. We are dead to those things. But guess what? We're alive in the spirits. We're alive in what God has for us. We are living in the plans and the purpose that God has for us. To live a life of a living sacrifice is to be dead to sin. So here's the question this morning. Is what have we chosen not to be dead to? What have we continued to hang on to? What have we continued to say, yes, God, I know I'm dead to it, but I still want to hang on to it. I still want to live that old lifestyle with those old habits. What are we holding on to this morning? Because it's hard to be a living sacrifice when we're still not dead to the things that we're supposed to be dead to. 
So we have to ask ourselves, say, God, what am I holding on to? What am I doing? What am I putting ahead of you? What am I making a priority in front of you that I'm choosing to hang on to that's stopping me from living a life that you've called me to live, that's stopping me to enjoy the, the peace and the joy that you've called me to enjoy? What is stopping that? God, bring that to my memory. God, let me know. Let me understand and let me let go. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, the prayer for this morning is this. God, let us be a living sacrifice. God, let us let go of all the dead things. God, let us let go of all the things of the world, of all the things that do nothing for us but bring death and bring a curse, that bring things that you don't want for us. God, so let us have the mind of Christ and let go of those. God, we let go of anything that doesn't line up with your word. We let go of anything, God, that you've called us, Father, not to walk in. God, we let those things go right now in the name of Jesus. But, God, we walk, God, in the will that you have for us. We walk, God, in the things that you have for us. God, we walk, God, in the purpose and in the plans that only you, God, have given us. We walk in those things. And we put down the things of the world. We put down all the worries, all the doubts, all the fears. We put down, God, all the struggles that only people under sin struggle with. We put it down because we are dead to sin, but we're alive in Christ. We're dead to addiction, but we're alive, God, and you, God. We're dead to all those things, but we're alive in the Spirit. So, Father, set us free this morning. God, we let go of all those things that aren't good for us this morning. And we say we are dead to those things. We release those things. All dead works. All those dead emotions, we let them go right now in the name of Jesus. And we pick up the cross. And we live as a living sacrifice, bringing glory to the name of Jesus. Come on, if you know that for yourself, give him a shout of praise right now. Begin to say, thank you, Jesus. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.